For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, The Testimony of Yeshua. This is part 10 of the series. So what are some other examples of Hokim of the lawgiver? Let me give you some more examples. One is the priesthood is given to Aaron and his sons. Exodus chapter 29 verse 9. You shall gird them with girdles, Aaron and his sons, and put the bonnets on them, and the priest's office shall be theirs for a perpetual hoke, for a perpetual statute, and you will consecrate Aaron and his sons. So why is it that of all the people of the nation of Israel, that it was Aaron and his sons that were given the priesthood of the tabernacle and the priesthood of the temple. Well, didn't Aaron participate in the sin of the golden calf? So why is it them and their sons? How do they have the merit? Well, it's a hope. It's a decree of the one in authority. That is Yeshua, the lawgiver. And so now we're going to see an example that this decree of the lawgiver that Aaron and his sons would be the priest, this gets challenged. And it gets challenged in Numbers chapter 16. And in this chapter, we have an account of what's called the Korah Rebellion. So let's look at this rebellion, and it was a rebellion, but from a logical human point of view. In Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, it says, Korah, that he was a son of Levi. So Korah is a Levite. So the Levites were given to be able to minister in the tabernacle. They're, they don't have the priesthood, but they're ministers of the tabernacle. So we have Korah, a Levite, and then we have sons of Reuben. So the Reubenites are not to be the ministers in the tabernacle. It was given to the Levites. So we have a Levite and two sons of Reuben. And then we are told in Numbers 16.2 that they rose up against Moses with certain of the children of Israel. 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. These are spiritual leaders of the people. So we have a Levite. We have sons of Reuben and the leading spiritual leaders of the people that they come to Moses and they basically say, shouldn't we also have a right and a privilege to be a part of the priesthood as well? And so this can be analogous to spiritual leaders and teachers of our day within the body of Messiah that if there are annual conferences that are hosted by some group or segment in the body of Messiah. And there's just certain teachers that, that seems they get to teach every year at these annual conferences. But 
then we have other people in the body Messiah that has things to share and that could edify the people. And what if they come and say, well, how come we don't get to teach and share at these annual conferences? And so is that such an outlandish request that the people who make the request should just die on the spot? Well, from a logical perspective, maybe there can be other priesthood members beside Aaron and his sons that are spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel. So this could make logical sense and a reasonable request, but how did the Lord receive it? In Numbers chapter 16, verse 3, it says, they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said, you take too much upon you, seeing all of Israel, all of the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is with everyone of the nation of Israel. So why do you lift up yourselves above the rest of the people of the nation, above the congregation of the Lord? So this was their request. And Moses said in the Korah, Numbers chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, Here I pray you, you sons of Levi, seems it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle and to stand before the congregation to minister to them. And he has brought you near to him and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you. But now it's not enough that you minister, the Levites minister, in the service of the tabernacle and then ultimately the temple, that you also want to be the priests as well. And so the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Numbers chapter 16, verse 20, and then verse 21 and verse 31. He said to them, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I might consume them in a moment. So the Lord was so displeased with the request that he wanted to kill those that made the request on the spot. And it came to pass as he had made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appurned unto Korah and all their goods. And Numbers chapter 16 verse 33. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. Look at this. In today's world... If there was a church setting and something like this would be requested that we have other leaders in the body who's capable of sharing good messages and edifying the people that just because they make a request that they have some input given that they would be existing spiritual leaders within the body of Messiah. If this was request was made unto people in the body Messiah and if the people who were in the leadership over the meetings and over the conferences that might be held if those in leadership over the conferences would say to the ones that make the request that you know how dare you make this request that you need to die wouldn't other people observe this and say well isn't that a bit of an overreaction that they shouldn't receive that judgment yet this is the judgment that the Lord placed upon Korah and 250 leaders of the nation of Israel at the time, men of renown, that he judged them and killed them on the spot. Furthermore, it goes on to say in Numbers chapter 17, verses 1 through 3, the Lord spake to Moses saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and take of every one, Take of every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers and all their princes according to the house of the fathers, 12 rods. And write 
thou every man's name upon his rod. And you will write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi, for one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. And you shall lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. And so we continue on. In Numbers chapter 17, verses 5 and 6 and verse 8, it will come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom, and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece for each prince one according to the father's house, even twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron from among the rods. And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. So now the God of Israel instructs Moses to take Aaron's rod that budded of the Levites and to place it in the Holy of Holies. Numbers chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. The Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a sign against the rebels, and you shall quite take away their murmurings from me that they die not. And Moses did so, as the Lord commanded him, so did he. So what does Aaron's rod that was in the Holy of Holies spiritually represent? Remember, I shared with you earlier that the Holy of Holies is a spiritual picture of the new Jerusalem of the heavenly tabernacle. It's a spiritual picture of those who are mature in Messiah and thus the bride of Messiah. That a characteristic of the bride of Messiah is the bride will keep the Hokim and Mishpatim of the lawgiver of Yeshua, of course. His Torah will be written upon her heart by the help of the Holy Spirit, which is the new covenant and she will thus have the Torah written upon her heart and do his will, the will of God. Psalm chapter 40, verse 8. But what goes along with that, that is spiritually associated with status of the Holy of Holies is Aaron's rod. What does Aaron's rod represent? It represents a hokim of the lawgiver that the people refuse to accept that as a sign against them for refusing to accept his decree because he's the lawgiver and because he has the authority and right to make that decree, even though it may not make sense to you, Aaron's rod that budded that represents the decree of the lawgiver that he insists that his decrees that he makes needs to be obeyed or else you're regarded as a rebel against him, that that decree is a hoax, singular, or hokim, plural, that accepting the decrees and the rulings and the actions of the lawgiver because he has the authority and the position to be the lawgiver, to give decrees that pertain to his people, the nation of Israel, and pertain to the world at large because he is the king, because he is the lawgiver, and that you accept his sovereignty and his authority in your life, that one who is willing to do that is one who is spiritually mature, and that which represents that spiritual maturity, Aaron's rod, is in the Holy of Holies, showing prophetically that accepting the sovereignty of the God of Israel without rebellion and his decrees and his rulings and ultimately things that happen in your life that you may not understand, that's not logical to you and logical to those around you, but still 
accept his sovereignty and his authority and you continue serving him and loving him and obeying him without rebelling against him because something happens to you that is a decree from him and a ruling from him that happens in your life that disappoints you that you don't understand that creates a wound in your heart and in your mind and in your emotions that even though it happens that you still can pull yourself together and you still make a decision to serve your king, to serve your creator, to follow his law and to pursue loving him, keeping his commandments and doing his will in your life. Even though you have experienced a disappointment that comes in your life, that is a sign of spiritual maturity. And that spiritual maturity is associated with the characteristic of the bride of Messiah, who's going to dwell with him in the new Jerusalem, which is personified by the Holy of Holies in Moses' tabernacle and Aaron's rod that was placed in that Holy of Holies. So I wanted to amplify for you the significance and importance of what a hoke is and the importance of obeying a hoke or hokim rulings, decrees of the creator who is the lawgiver, who is Yeshua, the Messiah. So what are some other hokim that were given to us in the scripture? Besides Aaron and his sons are given the priesthood. Another hokim is that the Levites are to do the service of the tabernacle and thus the service of the temple. Numbers chapter 18, verse 23. But the Levites shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a hoke forever throughout their generations. So what is the decree of the lawgiver? That the Levites are to do the service of the tabernacle and of the temple. What's another example of a hoke, a decree of the lawgiver? It's the laws regarding the red heifer. And so regarding the laws of the red heifer, we have this. Numbers chapter 19, verse 2. This is the ordinance. And the word ordinance here is the Hebrew word chok. This is a chok, a decree which the Lord has commanded saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring a red heifer without spot, with no blemish, upon which never came a yoke. And verse 10. And he that gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be clean until the evening. And it shall be under the children of Israel and under the stranger that sojourns among them a hoke forever. So somehow in this process of the red heifer, first of all, you're supposed to take a red heifer. Why a red heifer? And why does the red heifer have to be without blemish? What's the spiritual significance of that? And then somehow you got his ashes and somehow from this ashes you can get clean and then the one who was uh, clean is unclean and the one that's unclean is clean. And, and why and how is all of this so? Well, can it be logically explained? No. Since it cannot be logically explained, even though it's spiritually so, it is a hoax. It is a decree of the lawgiver that doesn't necessarily make logical sense. So it is the Torah of the nation of Israel. It is the Torah of the lawgiver to teach his hokim to his people. Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 10 through 12. Son of man, show the house to the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern. If they be ashamed of all that they have done, show them the form of the house, the fashion, the going out, the coming in, all the forms, all of the ordinances, hokim all the forms, all the laws, write it in their sight that they may keep the whole form thereof and all the ordinances, hokim, 
to do them. This is the law of the house. So what's the law of the house? To show the house to the house. So what's the house? That's the temple. And who is the house? His people. So the law of the lawgiver is to show his ways, which is shown through the temple, its forms of fashion going out and coming in to his people. And that's his ways. And it is a hokim. It's a decree of the lawgiver to show the form, the fashion going out and the comings in of the temple to his people. That that is the law of the house. All right. So now we've showed you the importance and significance of the hokim and mishpatim of the lawgiver. That David kept the hokim and mishpatim. Solomon was instructed to keep the hokim and mishpatim, but he didn't do it. His kingdom was split. In the splitting of the kingdom, the northern kingdom was called to keep the Hokim and Mishpatim through the first king of the northern kingdom, Jeroboam. They didn't do it. The southern kingdom was called to keep the Hokim and Mishpatim through their first king, Rehoboam. They didn't do it. They were exiled into the nations. The northern kingdom was taken captivity by the Syrians. The southern kingdom was taken captivity by the Babylonians. So therefore, by being exiled in the nations, they were losing their inheritance. But the God of Israel is merciful and compassionate, and he wants his people to return to him, to obey him. So even though his people's been exiled, he offers them forgiveness and mercy and compassion that if they will repent, change their heart and their ways. He will allow them to return and for there to be a restoration in the relationship. And so the original covenant that Yeshua gave to his people at Mount Sinai was broken. So he makes a renewed covenant or a new covenant with them where he takes away the stony heart, gives them a heart of flesh so that his hokim and mishpatim could be written upon their heart by the Holy Spirit, that they could love him, keep his commandments and be obedient to him. When he gathers the exiles from the nations, northern kingdom and southern kingdom, when he brings them back to the land, when he unites them and ends their exile, when he sets up his kingdom over them, they're going to keep his hokim and mishpatim. The ministry of the spirit of Elijah before Messiah returns and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives is to be an exhortation to the people of the God of Israel to keep his hokim and mishpatim. We saw that the hokim are decrees by the one in authority, the lawgiver, Yeshua the Messiah, and they're to be followed because he has the authority to make decrees and rulings. And even though they don't make logical sense to us, we should keep them and follow them anyhow. And his testimony The Torah and the Ten Commandments are broken into commandments about how you love him through his hokim and how you love and properly treat other people, which is his mishpatim. So we've now established these principles. The last thing we're going to do in this teaching is we're going to specifically share with you a list of hokim in the scriptures, since we've laid out the importance of keeping the Hokim and Mishpatim, that this is a spiritual characteristic of the bride of Messiah, that she will keep the Hokim and Mishpatim of her bridegroom, the lawgiver, and his reward for her in doing so and showing faithfulness to him is she will live forever with him in the new Jerusalem. So let's look at a list of Hokim, which we are to follow if we love Yeshua and want to keep his commandments. So one is that the same Hokim and Mishpatim are for both Jew and non-Jew. 
So we see this in Numbers chapter 15, verses 15 and 16. It says, One ordinance, this is the Hebrew word, hokim, shall be for you of the congregation, that is the native born, and also for the stranger that sojourns with you. That there is one hokim that applies to the native born and the stranger, the one that's adopted or grafted into the nation of Israel or a part of the body of Messiah, that that is to be a hokim forever in your generations. As you are the native born, so shall the stranger, one that's adopted and grafted in, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One Torah and one Mishpatim shall be for you, the native born, and for the stranger, the one that's adopted or grafted in that sojourns with the native born as a part of the nation of Israel, and spiritually it's the body of Messiah. So that is a hokim, that the same Torah is for both Jew and non-Jew. What are other examples of hokim in the scriptures? The weekly Sabbath is a hokim. We can see this from Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. Then came down upon Mount Sinai and spake with them from heaven, and he gave them right mishpatim, true laws, and good hokim and commandments. So, and given the Torah at Mount Sinai, it goes on to say in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 14, and he made known unto them your holy Sabbath. And commanded them precepts, hokim, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. So we can see here that the Sabbath is a hokim. So the weekly Sabbath is a hokim, but the annual biblical festivals we're going to see are hokim as well. The first one is Passover. Passover is a decree of the lawgiver that is to be kept. Exodus chapter 12, verse 11 and verse 14. And thus you shall eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial that you shall keep it a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by a hokim forever. So Passover is a hokim. The next we're going to see is that unleavened bread is a hokim. Exodus chapter 12, verse 17. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day in your generations by a hoke forever. So unleavened bread is a hoke, a decree. So Passover is a hoke. Unleavened bread is a hoke. First fruits is a hoke. We can see this. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 10 and verse 14, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come to the land which I give unto you and you shall reap the harvest, you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest and you shall eat neither bread nor corn nor green ears until the selfsame day that you've brought an offering unto your God. It is a hoke forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. Next, we're going to see that the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, or Shavuot, is a hoke. We see this in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 and 16 and verse 21. And you shall count in you from the morrow after the Sabbath. Well, that's going to conclude part 10 of the series on the subject, the testimony of Yeshua. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.
Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.